You're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, where I'm here to empower you to become the alpha of your health. All right, you guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode, I am going to be answering more of your listener questions. So this is the part two to the part one that I did two weeks ago, where you guys had just kind of asked whatever you wanted to know. And that's what I'm going to dive into today. So we're just going to jump right in. First question that we're starting with from Jen, are we back to that time of year where we can absorb vitamin D? And the answer is yes. So if you are above the Mason-Dixon line, you don't, we don't absorb vitamin D all year round. We typically stop absorbing in late October and we really don't start absorbing again until March. So I use the D-Minder app to track my vitamin D usage or not usage, more so absorption. And mine started tracking again in the beginning of March. And so last week was super nice here or two weeks ago, a few weeks ago, whenever you're listening to this, we had like a warm spell of, of quite, quite warm weather, seventies and sixties and sunny. And, and I was able to, you know, get a good amount of vitamin D, but if you live below the Mason Dixon line or below pretty much like Atlanta, Georgia, you pretty much absorb vitamin D all year round. So even though if you're in warmer states like the Carolinas and things like that, you don't, you still don't absorb it all year. You probably start absorbing more in February, uh, but but the vitamin D app, D Minder, will give you a better indication of when you can start absorbing it because it uses your alt, your altitude, your essentially grid line for where you are in the United States and where the sun is to see if you're getting that proper absorption. So that's the app that I use to track it. And yes, we can absorb vitamin D now. So this question, have you ever done a parasite cleanse for your dog? And so I remember when we were taking, when Tala was a puppy and we were taking her to the vet more, you know, cause they have to go quite frequently when they're puppies they, we, they, they gave her a dewormer essentially. And, you know, I gave that to her for probably like the first year, year and a half of her life. And then now I actually just give her the products that I use on myself. I just obviously give her much less of a dosage and I pretty much just do that in terms of preventative maintenance. And that works great for her. And it just doesn't come with all the side effects of, of those medications or additives and junk like that. So... Okay. Good question. Can pelvic castor oil packs contribute to irregular periods? Mine have been off lately. So typically no, because typically castor oil packs are really great for regulating your cycle, helping with period symptoms, helping with PCOS, which that was actually another question that that person had. Would pelvic castor oil packs be good with someone for PCOS? Absolutely. However, Um, if they are helping your body produce more progesterone, like if your cycles were a little bit shorter in the luteal phase, they might be helping to extend it a few days if it's helping to produce more progesterone, but they should not be contributing to like more irregular cycles. That's probably more of an external issue that still the castor oil packs can help with. Um, but really they're really helping to boost progesterone, decrease pelvic inflammation, reduce cysts and fibroids, things like that. Um, okay. So Danielle asks how to naturally boost estrogen at 25, have enough body fat and no tests show defect. So 
Low estrogen can be a lot of things. I see low estrogen a lot in people who, you know, it's nice that she specified she has enough body fat. Um, however, like, is that really enough? Like, is that, because we, we don't want too much. We don't want too little. It's kind of that Goldilocks sweet spot. So obviously if you're super lean, that can definitely deplete estrogen. If you are, um, taking any like hormone balancing supplement, like that has dim in it. So I know Dr. Jolene Brighton's hormone, her female balance has dim. I know that Alani News has dim. And I really do not like people taking any blanket hormone supplement without working with a practitioner to see if it's truly a right fit for you because it really can do more harm than good. Overtraining is a huge thing that I see. Low fat diets are a huge thing. High fiber diets actually can be a big reason that we have low testosterone because there's actually quite a lot of studies out there that say like higher fiber, higher fiber, lower fat diets really, really contribute to lower estrogen in women, which, you know, fiber is great in the fact where it can help us balance our estrogen. But if you're having too much fiber and it's binding so much of those extra hormones, including testosterone and progesterone, you can have lower hormones, uh, because of that. So definitely take a look at all of those things. Um, okay. <laughs> which, uh, which almond milk, coconut milk do you recommend? So I, to be totally honest, we don't do a ton of plant-based milks in this household. We pretty much just do raw grass-fed milk. But if I were to buy a plant-based milk, I would probably choose coconut milk over almond because I remember my, my best friend and my roommate in college, she's from California and she always yelled at me, not yelled at me, but like she always told me to go buy coconut milk over almond because almonds just take so much water and California is already in such of a drought. Um, that's not to say that nobody can ever eat almonds, but you know, the amount that it takes to make almond milk. So I always chose coconut milk and I do find that coconut milk has better ingredients. Typically, um, milk is a really good brand. Um, M-A-L-K, Malk. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Yes, they make really, really good plant-based alternatives. However, you just want to make sure that there's not... They did not ever include natural flavors before, and there is some speculation that they're including more natural flavors now. I don't know if that's true because I know that social media went into a complete uproar when they shared that. So I do think they're keeping the original formula. And then three... I can't remember if it's three trees or three seeds... I think it's three trees. That's another good plant-based milk alternative. Very clean ingredients. No fillers. Um, those can be super, super helpful. Okay. Sciatica pain relief during pregnancy has been to a Cairo. So depending on what the Cairo has done, you really want to work on loosening all those glute muscles. So, you know, if they did muscle work, great. If they just adjusted you, there's probably more to the issue and like more muscle work, stretching, mobility things that need to be done. So some of my favorite stretches are like the pigeon stretch. Um, I love sitting in a chair and kind of crossing my leg over one another. So putting my my ankle on the other knee and kind of bending forward. You really, really feel it right in that sciatic region and it really helps loosen up the piriformis and those glute muscles that can contribute to the entrapment of that sciatic nerve. So those are super helpful. Epsom salt baths can be really great for you to just kind of help loosen those things up. Um, really, really working on mobility and stretching and then getting that deep tissue muscle work to be able to really help release any of that tension there. So if they weren't doing any muscle work, that would be important. You know, they can always do cupping and kind of like the low back glute region, um, 
sometimes acupuncture and dry needling can be really helpful for that too. Um, especially during pregnancy, it's really important to be able to take relief off, you know, the mom whenever possible. And so I always do a lot of muscle work and really loosening those areas, but always, always, always give mobility and stretching to do at home because I want people to be able to have longer lasting relief. Okay. Laura asks first time enema tips. So when I had Ashley Taylor wellness on the podcast, she was back this summer. I interviewed her. Um, I believe I linked to her free enema course. It's amazing. It's so helpful. It's everything that you literally need to know. But I think when you're doing like a, a coffee enema for the first time, do less liquid and don't make it as strong. So if a recipe calls for like three cups of coffee or three cups of water, you know, to make the coffee, maybe just start with two cups. You don't need to start with a ton of liquid at first. Cause you just want to kind of get your body used to the mechanism of what's going on. Um, but I definitely recommend going in, like taking some type of educational platform so that you understand how coffee enemas work, what they are, how to prepare yourself. Um, they are by no means complicated. It's such an easy practice once you get the hang of it. However, I understand that it can definitely be overwhelming at first. So I would definitely check out her course. I linked to it in that podcast episode. So if you didn't already listen to that podcast, I would go back and listen because we do talk about it. Um, and the link and stuff is there. Elise asked, opinion on Go Macro Bars. I think they are super clean. I love that like it's all whole food ingredients. I, do, I think it's a little low for a protein bar. It's kind of more of a carb bar, um, which that's typically what we get when you are making whole food protein bars. Um, but I do think that it's a really great whole food option. It's just not really super high in protein. I think there's like 14, 15 grams. So, but it, but it's still ingredient wise is fine. Sometimes it, for some people it might have a little bit more sugar. Uh, so it just kind of depends on like how your body tolerates it, but ingredient wise, it is definitely, definitely good. Um, so next question, uh, my thoughts on Shakeology, not a fan. It is a really, really overpriced way to get a lot of heavy metals and just not great ingredients. I mean, they've got some certain things like, oh gosh, I'll have to just pull it up. Let's see. Okay. So I have the ingredients pulled up right here. So vegan protein blend. So it's pea protein, flaxseed, rice, and quinoa. Pea protein is typically pretty heavily laced with, uh, not laced, but it pretty heavily contains heavy metals and things like that. And it's not organic. So it's definitely sprayed. Uh, same with the rice protein, like vegan proteins can be good. Um, however, rice and peas just can naturally accumulate a lot more heavy metals. So it's really important to see what their certificate of analysis says in terms of what their heavy metal consumption is. And here's the thing with heavy metals, you guys, they're just naturally occurring in the soil. So at some point we are like always exposed to heavy metals. My question is just how much are we exposed to? Because like, are we being exposed to a level that's you know, consistent evolutionarily, or are we just like constantly hyperdosing ourselves? And I think that's more so the issue is that we're just having so many different things in our diet that can be exposed. You know, then they've got some different adaptogens and things like that. And then we look at the other ingredients, organic cane sugar, not horrible, natural flavors don't love, the xanthan gum don't love. So 
And to be, let's see, where's the protein? So there's really only 16 grams of protein, 15 grams of carbs, three grams of fat. And so, I mean, it's really not a great source of protein and I believe it's quite expensive. Yeah. It's $129 for this bag. And I just don't understand. (laughs) I don't understand why it's so expensive and it's really not super great. I mean, in terms of protein, if you're looking for plant-based, I, I like aura organic a lot. They're very transparent. And although it's a vegan brand, they're very transparent about their certificate of analysis, very low heavy metals. I have that linked on my full script. So if you go to my website, drhaleyshoff.com slash brands I love, you can get Aura Organic 10% off through my full script. I also like News Zest a lot because, again, they're very transparent about their certificate of analysis. And you can make it your own superfood smoothie by adding just real whole food to the smoothie. It's going to be so much more bioavailable. Or you can add something like the Aura Organic Greens powders if you wanted something because both of those combined would probably be $50 for a 25 day ish supply. Whereas the Shakeology is a 30 day supply for 130. And I just don't understand that, but whole foods always best. So, you know, you can make your own superfood smoothie and whatnot. And I actually do want to be doing, I probably am going to do like a greens powder podcast because I've gotten a lot of questions on like, which ones are good, which ones aren't. You guys know that I'm friends with Health Illy, and she does a ton of that stuff, a ton of advocacy work. And this is a conversation that we've had a lot. We share, both of us share a lot about ingredients. And so we like to share baseline about these are the ingredients and why we question them and potential risks they have to our health so that therefore then you guys can go and be in a educated consumer and look at these products and say, oh, it has this ingredient, it has this ingredient. Because sometimes we can just sound like broken records talking about the same red flag ingredients over and over. And you guys can just apply it to whatever products you guys are looking for. So mm -mm, what are your thoughts on holistic doctors that say no to eating eggs? I think that eggs are so incredibly nutrient dense. However, I I also understand that they can be a common allergy for people. And so I think in that case, it's just a very bio and bio identical, bioidentical. I can't use my words. Bio, I, I, <laughs> bio individual instance where eggs might need to be minimized. I mean, I know that there's some people that I know that I work with people who are sensitive to them. And so I do tell them to limit them. I'm not going to ever tell somebody eat something, even though this makes you bloated and causes inflammation in your body. So it really depends on the source, but once you can heal the gut and heal that sensitivity, I mean, they're one of the best superfoods that you can eat. Can I get vitamin D with sunscreen on? Mm. So this person seems like they're fair skin um, and they don't want to burn. That's what they said. So you cannot get vitamin D with sunscreen. But what I would recommend is because you're fair skin, if you get that sun exposure earlier in the day or later in the day when the sun is a little bit weaker, not kind of in the midpoint of the day, just expose your skin to 10 to 15 minutes, like before you start to get red so that you can still get some vitamin D and then you can apply your sunscreen so that you're not getting burned. But you know, if you like in the summertime at 10 o'clock in the morning, 11, uh, sometimes 11 o'clock, the sun might be strong, but I believe we can start absorbing vitamin D around like 9, 30, 10, just get 10, 15 minutes on your skin before your skin ever starts to get red. Just so you're getting a little bit of that exposure and you're able to absorb it because unfortunately we cannot absorb vitamin D with sunscreen on. And that's a huge reason that I think so many people are vitamin D deficient is because we've been, you know, fear, I don't want to use the word fear mongered, but everyone thinks that every single second we step outside, we need to have sunscreen on when the deeper root cause is why are we burning so much? I mean, fair skin is one thing, 
Um, however, you know, my brother and my dad are both quite fair skinned, especially compared to me. I mean, most people look at me and they're like, oh, you probably like don't ever wear sunscreen because I don't really ever burn. Um, and my husband as well, super fair skin. Uh, none of them burn as much as they used to now that they've cleaned up their diet and done a lot of work internally, minimizing the seed oils, minimizing the inflammatory fatty acids, things like that. So yes, they still use sunscreen, but they are able to get natural sun on their skin without burning quite as quickly. So you always want to look at it internal as well. Mm, Okay. Um, let's see what else. Safest way to tan outside. Lots of vitamin D tanning questions. So this kind of is piggybacking off of this one. So after off that last question, you don't want to burn. So slowly exposing your skin to the sun because our skin will adapt. Hence why certain cultures are just more prone to having more melanin production in their skin because they're used to being outside longer. So I don't know what it was, but like my mom and my skin, we just produced more melanin. Whereas my dad and my brother are much more fair And I think that just has to do with kind of, I mean, of course, we're the same like nationality. We have the same parents, but, you know, in terms of like who got more of what nationality, um, I think I probably got more of like the Slovakian bloodline, which my grandma also is darker. She's always tanned really easily, never really burned. Um, so I think, you know, it might, some of it has to do with, all right, what's, what's kind of your tolerance in in terms of burning, um, but also kind of slowly working your way up. So maybe you spend 15, 20 minutes in the sun, then you can apply protection, apply your skin, like vitamin, uh, you can apply sunscreen to your skin where it's needed, but you will start to build up a tolerance where your body will make more melanin. You will burn less. I really like using the vitamin D app to, to track my, my intake so that I'm getting a nice color on my skin without overdoing it. Um, you really want to make sure your skin is well hydrated because dry skin is much more apt to burn. Um, so I really like using good topicals to make sure my skin's hydrated, to give it antioxidants. You want to make sure you're consuming a lot of antioxidants internally, vitamin C, vitamin E. I really love doing matcha, especially in the warmer months. And we, I did it all the time when we were in Florida and I knew I was going to be outside all day because matcha has so many photoreactive and um, antioxidant components that really help support your skin when you're out in the sun. Any type of chlorophyll rich food will because of the nutrients and stuff in there. So I think those are really good. You, you want to focus on obviously the outside, you know, applying good quality things to your skin. I love the Hue and Grace body oil. It's amazing, super luxurious, always keeping my skin hydrated. The Primally Pure uh, body butter is also amazing because it's made of tallow, which tallow is super rich in vitamin A, vitamin E. So you're able to protect your skin, obviously on the outside, but then internally really making sure that you're giving your body nutrients, lots of antioxidants, lots of things to be able to just help your body process that sun exposure properly. Um, because obviously, you know, if we're eating a diet rich in pro-oxidants and anti-nutrients and things that aren't serving us, that's not good. Alcohol, you know, all of those things. Oh, okay. This is a good question. Any experience with periormal dermatitis? Dermo just prescribed an antibiotic. So yes, I actually had periormal dermatitis last year. Um, I, I got it around the time that I had some sort of stomach bug. I also was around a lot of people. Um, 
And so there's kind of a few different thoughts in my mind on how I obtained it. However, what's showing up on your skin can definitely be an issue of what's going on internally. And so kind of once I, w- I cleared out a lot of that gut inflammation, I was also parasite cleansing at the time. Once I cleared out a lot of that stuff, that did go away. Um, there's been some some research like pine needle tea and things like that that can be really beneficial for... Um, for periorbal dermatitis, I, I was just really focusing on a lot of moisture. You're not applying topicals. Um, I personally did not use any antibiotics. Of course, this is not medical advice. You need to do what you need to do. However, I personally did not need antibiotics to get rid of it. Um, I didn't even go to a doctor. I just healed it naturally. Lots of aloe, lots of soothing anti-inflammatory things, not a lot of harsh active ingredients. So I wasn't doing like really any vitamin C or anything like that topically, because although those can be great, you don't want any harsh actives that can be drying it out. So, okay. Um, Could gut issues be the root cause of hypothyroidism? 100% can be a big big issue is gut issues, um, nutrient deficiencies, stress, and all of those so much so overlap one another. Um, uh, best way to support your body after surgery, explanted, uh, explanted toxic boobs. (laughs) So yeah, def, I mean, really focusing on your drainage pathways, focusing on your liver support, maybe contacting a health practitioner and getting on like a good detox protocol, that's really important because so many of those things can leak things over time uh, that can get into your bloodstream. So you just, you know, not saying that that happened to you, but even getting rid of something like that and then going through surgery, it is important to make sure your detox pathways are are supported. Um, top protein powder recs beside Nuzas. Okay, so uh, Aura would definitely be, I actually probably like Aura better than Nuzas, to be honest. I like them both the same, like both a lot, but I do think I like Aura better. And then I've actually been doing a lot of grass-fed whey protein as well because whey just is much more bioavailable. You don't have to worry about the heavy metals as much and things like that, especially if a company has certificate of analysis showing that. Um, and I do great with whey, and I've been really liking the levels whey protein. Do you have a favorite dental floss? Shannon asks. I do. I really like the Rise Risewell one, we use the Risewell toothpaste, and I really like the Risewell floss because it's made with hydroxyapatite, which helps to remineralize your teeth, and so that is amazing. <laughs> okay, how how bad is the parasite protocol? Like, take time off of work bad? Absolutely not. I was talking to a patient and client about this today. I mean, I've been parasite cleansing for the last two weeks and I've been working, I've had the two busiest weeks (laughs) um, coming back from vacation. And so, no, I mean, I will say because I've been really hitting it hard and doing it quite extensively because I ate raw fish like four times on vacation, um, I have been having a little bit more digestive upset, but it was nothing that couldn't be handled and remedied with ginger tea, castor oil packs, uh, peppermint and wintergreen essential oil topically. So, and even for many of the people who have been going through my parasite protocol this past full moon, I mean, everybody's been going to work. Everybody's been living their life. You're not strapped to the toilet all day long. You're not strapped to your bed because you're feeling detox symptoms 
at least that's not the type of parasite protocol that I teach because we make sure we're binding up those extra toxins. And so, no, I've had a great week. I mean, there's times where I'll have, I'll pass a bowel movement and I just like feel like a million dollars because you just feel so good getting rid of this stuff. So no, it's by no means something that you're taking time off of work. It's something that if anything, you feel, you feel quite good doing, um, as long as you're supporting yourself in the proper ways. Should you fast when coming off the pill? If not, how long should you wait? Uh, Jess asked. So, I mean, you, you, you can incorporate certain like intermittent fasting into your lifestyle. Um, if you want to learn more about that, I interviewed Dr. Mindy Pels. Um, I mean, you can, you can do intermittent fasting when you're on the pill. You can do intermittent fasting when you're off the pill to, to an extent where you're obviously not overstressing the body, even 12 to 13 hours might be sufficient. Um, any way to treat mild pain other than Tylenol? Absolutely. I pretty much only use natural remedies for pain. I think I've said this multiple times. Our, we don't even have Aleve, Advil, Tylenol. We don't even have it in the house. Um, so in terms of my favorite go-to for natural pain relief, I like doing fish, uh, fish or cod liver oil, typically cod liver oil, but fish oil, if I need a little bit more omega-3s, um, Turmeric is probably one of my favorite go-tos. Turmeric, ginger, all of those are are my go-to um, that you can either take in powdered form, tea, tincture, or encapsulated. And although they're an herb, um, they're nice because you can really, really up your dose quite a bit um, for that for that quick pain relief. Thoughts on Everly Well food sensitivity. I think I've answered this before, but I will answer it again here. I don't love it because most people just then think that they need to avoid all the foods that get flagged in that food sensitivity test, and that's not how that works. You need someone to interpret it to see why are you sensitive to those things in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. Thoughts on, and then this will be the last one for today. Thoughts on using... Okay, no, there's two. There's two from this person. Sydney asked two questions, and I want to answer these last two. So where can I buy good quality liver to add into my meals? I really like buying my liver locally, so I have a good relationship with a lot of the farmers locally that I go to farmer's markets with, and I just ask about their farming practices, and so I get them from them. Uh, But you can also get them from White Oak Pasture. You can get them from... There's another company that it's a sister company of Paleo Valley and I am having a hard wild pastures. I think it's called, they've got it and they actually like have it mixed, I think into some of the meat, which is really cool. Um, but if you can get it locally, sometimes, you know, if you go to the grocery store, if you can ask the butcher there, if he's got any, that would be great. Um, but you just want to know the source and you want to know how the animal is raised. Cause although the liver doesn't store the, the, the liver does not store toxins, it processes them. Um, but you still don't want to, you know, be having like bad quality just because you don't want bad quality meat in general. Um, so you just want that, especially for organs. And then last question from Sydney thoughts on using red light. I love red light. I personally use the bio light and I really like it. I have just the little handheld one, so it's nothing crazy. It's not like those huge panels, but what's nice is like when we travel, it's, if it's right in my bag, no problem. I do it usually when I'm doing the coffee enema. Sometimes I bring it in the sauna. I like it doesn't have to be plugged in, so there's no EMF. It is smaller, so, you know, I spend 10 minutes on my face. Maybe I spend 10 minutes on my abdomen. So it's 
it, it's not as big as the panel, but for what I'm trying to use it for, I think it's perfect. But red light is amazing. I mean, it's so great for mitochondria health, so good for skin, so good for wound healing, um, great for anti-aging. It's great for, um, decreasing inflammation. Uh, it's, it's great for so many of those things. And so those red lights use near infrared lights, whereas our sauna uses far infrared lights. However, some saunas do have both near mid and far. Um, it just, it just depends on the model that you have, but so that for that reason, I do have a red light. So I hope you guys enjoy when I answer these questions because I most certainly love answering your questions. I hope you guys find it helpful. I hope you learned something and I just, Thank you so much for being here every single week and continue to be the alpha of your health. Appreciate you guys.